0: the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Go Wild. Now, If you don't know what Go Wild is, Go Wild is the fastest growing and most active app for hunters, anglers, and outdoor enthusiasts. Literally thousands of people are joining weekly, so it's uh, one of the fastest growing social media platforms for outdoor enthusiasts. Now, most major social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook have strict, very strict anti-hunting and anti-firearm policies. That's not the case with Go Wild. If you're uh, a gun lover, you can post pictures of your guns. If you're uh, a hunter, a fisher, an angler, you know all that good stuff. You can, you can post pictures of your harvests. You know, uh, a little blood doesn't hurt anybody. And as we all know, you know hunters. An animal dies typically when we harvest, and a lot of people have uh, a problem with that on the major uh, major social media platforms. Not on Go Wild, right? This is designed by hunters for hunters and anglers. So, um, and here's a, another great thing about uh, Go Wild: they donate a lot of their revenue back into conservation groups. One specific example is raise them outdoors and uh, that organization um, is helping teach kids to hunt and fish so they're doing lots of big time giveaways and uh, you can store your pictures forever and ever and ever and there's over 130 species and counting in their systems to uh, to tag and to like and then basically what you're doing is you're joining a community Uh, of other like-minded individuals who love hunting, love fishing, and love just being outside. So if you haven't already, go to wherever you download apps and search for Go Wild and uh, download it today.
1: All right, guys. Welcome to another Land and Legacy Hunting Podcast. This your host Adam Keith and Matt Die, and we are right up here. And where are we? Kansas City, Kansas Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri. Getting ready to kick off a week long real estate training course.
2: Well, it's it's a comp. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much there will be training, but it's like a kind of a conference of bringing agents from across the country together to talk, brainstorm, and share ideas. And there's um, could be I think a lot of awesome information. We talked about I, I guess if people listen to the Habitat podcast that we do two weeks ago. Now, um, we talked about our transition, our switch. Well, yeah, we talked about the yeah the real so estate transition and United then,
1: Country agents before, yeah. so people understand that. But when I say training, it's talking about the training on understanding how their systems work. There are certain techniques and tools that they have. Um. Easy with that yank in there on that cord, Um, because we're in the hotel room, and you just did that, and I lost sound in one of my sides, yeah. Um, but it came back, so uh, we're training to learn uh, the system and the techniques and the websites that United Country agents have, so that's why we're here. Um, It's late in the evening, but we're trying to knock out one of our hunting podcasts, and we've got an interesting topic that I think a lot of people can relate to, Um, and I think it's one of those things that doesn't often get a lot of publicity because um, we all dream of the day of owning a, a large track of ground and hunting a big track of ground all to ourselves but let's face it the reality of it is there's a lot of guys hunting small acres.
0: And it,
2: and I say we say a lot of guys and and been right there. Been hunting on very small tracts of land and having to identify a lot of the key points of the property I think it's tougher to hunt a small property successfully, continually, year to year to year to year, than a large property. So, if you can do that and prove that on a small property, to me, I'm like, I know you are a skilled hunter. Like, you've got something going on. You've been able to identify key points and and, and, and aspects of that property and capitalize on them. Um, whether that be they, they just naturally occur or you're managing that property to a T and, and it's paying off. And I like I I get excited about small properties. We've consulted on properties down to I think it was like 26 acres or something like that. Um and, and those properties need almost more attention uh, than than larger properties because it has to be so detail oriented. You're hunting from start to finish, but then your management from start to finish. But you're looking at that property through a magnifying glass, and that's what makes it so cool because you can be so detail-oriented. Um, and then when it all works out, you're like, wow, man, that hunt came together just like I thought. That's right. Just like I had planned. And that that's the thats the fun part, the uh, energetic part of hunting in a small, small track. We're t- in today's podcast, I, th- I think you mentioned it, but is focused on 40 acres and under.
1: Yeah, I I know a lot of guys that kill good deer every single year off small, less than 50 acres. Um, And I I think of like Ryan Kirby's farm, Um, a farm that is 40 acres, that is kind of in the heartbeat of a a big wooded section in the middle of crop country Illinois, where you look at that, if you were just to walk in there and say 40 acres, wow, okay. Um, Access, I've I've got stands scattered around. Okay, I don't have a ton of stands. I mean, for a north wind, I really have one option. But when you look at it from 30,000 feet and you say, wow, there's really, this is the main wooded draw in this section of timber. So I know any buck that's traveling through here is probably going to step foot on this property. Mm -hmm. And just by having multiple stands, even though they're not that far apart, and one may be on one side of the trails versus, and the other one's 40 yards over, but it's on the other side of the trails. It allows you to hunt it with different winds to where you're never pressuring the deer. And hopefully over time, you grind it out and you put one on the wall by hunting a 40-acre chunk. And you can go to your buddy who hunts 1,000 acres and you say, ha, look at me. I killed a good one. on it." Yeah. Punk. And uh, so there's a lot of things you can do, uh, but there's also key components of hunting small farms that aren't necessarily true or used or utilized on big tracks.
2: I think that they're just, they're not utilized to the same
1: degree. You think about a big track and, okay, yeah, I can get real aggressive, so what if I feel like I've, I've in duck hunting they say ride the hole. Um, I rode the hole too much. I set in that stand too many times. I feel like the deer kind of know what's up. I'm going to go ahead and shift over, and uh, I'm going to move to another side of the farm and I'm, I'm not going to hunt. You can't like it, do that on small you acres. You can
2: rest it for a long. Like you, you have the ability to rest stands where you in, in a 40-acre, just mathematically, you're probably not going to have as many stand opportunities in that section or in that block or parcel as you would in a larger property. So you your rest periods is actually you not hunting and you resting and staying out of the woods at home, whereas on a larger track, you're probably going to a, a marginal stand or something that you're like, ah, oh, well, it, you know, it, it's it's not like a the heartbeat of the property, but I can still I can still kind of get away and hunt it. And it's not going to really do any damage or long term damage on the property if something goes down or the wind doesn't isn't quite right. So, I guess number one that we talk about is is really access, and for I I, I think if you can have multiple points of access on a small farm you are doing awesome small track 40 acres and under if you can access multiple points whether it kind of corners a road if it's a square block or you have permission from a neighbor to access different points that is absolutely key if you are hunting a 40 acre or under track and you have one access point right there immediately you are you're limited to the number of stands and winds that you can hunt
1: and and not only that if your access is one spot and that one spot turns into one road that goes through the property that you continually use that's a big negative that if the way you can change a one access spot to where you come in on one corner but you branch off from that and you loop around and you do use different trails to maneuver around, that's a, a much better benefit um, and a much better way to access the property. Like Ryan Kirby's, again, I'll mention that one because that was not too long ago. Uh, 40 acres to where it... Uh, it one access in the northwest corner, but using the property boundaries and using and the creek um, and ditches to maneuver around it. It's one access point, one access for the road, but you can maneuver around it. Um, pretty, pretty stinking awesome. So, uh, Jason Brasda, Michigan, yep. smaller property. I forget the exact acres on that one. It's less than a hundred acres, but that one had great access all the way around it. Well, I think um, that
2: if you have access like on the smaller property. You may have one point of access, but if you have a road system, a boundary system, a trail system around the edges, that's that's basically the second best. If you only have one option for access, if you can get, then have a, a trail system around the border, that's where you really need to capitalize on that and still be very strategic in when and how you're approaching, but utilize a boundary system once within, again within the borders. It's
1: another reminder that if you were to give me. The would you rather, and you say, would you rather have 80 acres that has pretty bad access or 30 acres with really good access? I'll take the 30 acres just because, and, and you look at two weeks ago, we did a podcast, 10 Red Flags Real Estate. A lot of times we can get fooled by seeing a property and we get real excited because there's trail camera images of a giant buck. And you think, wow, there's really good deer in there. But then you look at it from an access standpoint and you're like, this is terrible. Yeah. Even though there are giants in there,
2: how, how am I going to kill them? The access is terrible. We I didn't say this just for the, the value, to, to put a value on this, is we have represented or or given advice to people who are about ready to purchase a property, about ready to purchase a, a tract that's got great deer on it, and it's just in a perfect area, and it a decent price, but when you when you got down to the nuts and bolts of it, the access wasn't there, and we had to look at the the purpose of the property. The purpose of the property was to hunt it and take advantage of the deer using the property. And based on the information and the access points that was available to the potential buyer, we ultimately said, if it were us, I would not buy it. I wouldn't buy it. Yeah. yeah, maybe down the road you can you can develop a relationship with neighbors and say, hey, can I can I do this? Can I come across your property? Um, but from initial site visit, you've got to be very confident in in maybe getting that access um, ahead of time. But uh, we we've certainly told people no go on properties because of access, even though trail camera images and current trail camera images. Indicated, there's some studs there. Great deer on there. So that's how important it is. We we cannot overlook access. Yeah. The
1: next one, uh, when we're looking at the overall landscape, how how can we make this piece of property um, awesome? What what is it about this piece of property that's going to allow me to hold deer or have deer active on my farm? Um, that they may not be that may not be present on the neighboring farm. So we're looking at the limited resources. We're looking for the resource that will attract the deer onto this property more during hunting season than the neighboring properties. So that could go as far as a lot of things. We've got food. Is there a food source there that's not present throughout the neighboring uh, throughout the neighborhood? Is there water sources? that are not there on the throughout the neighborhood, or is there more cover? Once again, pre-show, we talked about this. Would you rather have 80-acre farm, or let's just say 40 acres, since we are keeping this under 40 acres and lower. Would you rather have a 40-acre farm that's 20 acres cover, 20 acres food plot, or would you rather have a 40-acre farm that's 35 acres cover and 5 acres food plots? I'd
2: rather have the one with less food. I would totally, and, and here's why. For me... It's all about what are deer doing during daylight hours. They're probably bedded down. And if they're bedded down, they're going to be in the best cover around. And if you have 35 acres of really good cover, then you're owning the deer on your property during daylight hours. You're confident that you can get them through probably into older age classes on a small track because you own the cover. And you're the one making the the passing and selection of those deer during, you know, legal hunting hours, daylight hours. They're probably very limited going outside of your boundaries during that time frame if you're the one owning the cover. So, to me, I, I I want cover on a property on a small track. Again, that may limit some movements around it, but I know that the deer are in there. And that gives me the opportunity because the other thing we talked about is identifying on that track, what is the property? Like what time of the season is this property going to shine the most? Is this primarily a cover farm or is this primary at, at the time that we were there? Anyhow, Ryan Kirby's was primarily a transition farm is in a big funnel Indeed, we're just going to pass through. We kind of change that, but or or is it a, a food source? Is it a crop field that you know there's cover crops and no one else is doing cover crops around there? What is the property? Identify that and then allow that to determine how you're gonna hunt it.
1: That's right. I and and definitely when we're talking let's combine the two now, you've got cover. Which cover is nothing if you don't have security with it. So right. you've got cover with security, meaning the deer feel comfortable in that cover. Said this a lot in past podcasts, but if you have a big section of switchgrass or a big section of native prairie or, or it's a blowdown, a clear cut, if the neighbor's dogs are running through there chasing the deer out every day or the neighbor's walking through it every day or whatever it is. there's or people that, are riding
2: uh, horseback through there daily.
1: Yeah. Um, whatever it is, if there is some sort of activity that's going through and pushing the deer, making the deer alert, they don't feel comfortable in there. That's not um, ideal cover.
2: I'm going to throw this out there. Maybe it's not every day. I don't want to say every day because if it is everyday occurrence, then deer can get conditioned to it. But... If it's kind of irregular and it happens on occasion, it's not. They're not going to, you know, associate that with security. Yeah, depending
1: at all. on what the disturbance is. Totally. Um, so definitely, we're looking for cover with security. So deer are using it on a regular basis because they feel comfortable there, which means they're more likely to move during daylight hours. But then you add that with access, which we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and you have access to where your scent isn't blowing over that cover and and harming the security of that cover, now we are getting somewhere. If I have the ability to loop around and, and maneuver through the property where my scent and, my, and deer aren't seeing me, and I can maneuver through the entire farm to get to stands or food plots or out of stands, back to the truck, and I'm not jumping deer out of the cover, now I've really got something special.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think that... As you're you're understanding what the property is, it's super important on small acreages is to understand what's happening, have a good grasp of what's happening outside of your property boundary. Because, again, we know that deer aren't going to stay just within a 40-acre section. They're going to move, hopefully, during uh, the darkness hours. To the neighbors. To the neighbors. But... We have to know what's happening over there. It's not a go trespass. It's a use use like Google Earth. Or if you do develop good relationships, which we encourage you to do, develop those relationships with your neighbors and talk openly about what, what's happening, what's occurring. But that's going to give you as a hunter an understanding of, okay, this has changed over time. Now there's a food resource over here in this direction. I might start seeing my deer shift this way instead of you know the typical um, Movements that they've done over the past couple of years. So you really have to understand what's happening outside of that property boundary on small acreages to then be successful, remain successful, even even amongst those changes from year to year. Yeah, I uh, to me,
1: um, when you're looking at the the small acreage and you're trying to find the the key component, I have always said this that I believe that big deer, especially since so many people target bigger deer now, whether that goes from a three and a half year old or up, uh, we're all looking for something with uh, bigger antlers that gets our heart rate going, or a lot of people. Um, What is it that brings those deer to a property and moves during daylight hours? What is the component that is going to better our chances of seeing that deer moving daylight? during daylight, what is it that we need to catch deer on their feet in that last 15 minutes of, of light or, or the first 15 minutes of light in the morning? What is it? Is it food? Is it water? Is it cover? What is it? And I believe it's always the
2: combination of cover and security. I am going to say, a lot of it is, is the combo of... Just like everything we talk about, diversity. But it's a combination of several different aspects. But again, like you said, I'm going to agree with that. You've got to have secure cover on a property to better... I think, I think that's what gives a hunter, daylight hours, the best chances to be successful. When
1: you think about it, um, all the people that we know or all the people that the listeners know that continually continue to kill good deer every year... Um, in your neighborhood, what are they doing? And one of the people that comes to mind for us is always Seth Harker, our our friend that kills good deer every single year. What is it about his place? Well, if you travel around it, there's so many just clear cuts and TSI areas close pine to plantations. food plots. And when you say pine plantations, most people down south would think 40-plus foot tall trees. His are still so young that there's a lot of underbrush growing in them So where... Yeah. I mean, we're talking 15-foot pine trees, maybe 20-foot, and a lot of briars and a lot of brambles and a lot of th- grass and forbs growing through those pine plantations. So they are great bedding areas. And you look at all those, and they're very close relation to the food sources. And so if a deer is bedded in them, they don't have very far to go from when they stand up to get to the food plot. So if you were to look at a at a very successful farm and, and you say, okay, wow, this is a great-looking this is, this. if we want to keep it in simple terms, this is a great-looking city. There's there's a lot of stuff going on throughout this area, there's throughout this farm.
2: Market, there's shops. There's, there's all, this all
1: kinds of stuff. But then when you look at there's, where the deer dates. are getting killed, they're usually getting killed consistently in the same stand or in the same food plot, in the same bottleneck, whatever it is. We're trying to replicate all those key places on a big property that people kill deer every single year and put that on small properties. You're just so what to, is
2: it? It's a small, it's like a, you see like the house plant, not house plans, but like those model houses that like people look into, like you have like the big construction, like life size house. And then you have like the, the small models that are on the table. That's yeah. what it is. It's, 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 it's the same exact thing, but the scale and the ratio and dimensions are, are I guess the dimensions are different, but the ratio is hopefully pretty much the same. So this big, small. The, the, this podcast is a
1: hunting podcast devoted to hunting small acres. But if you really want to, if you're listening to this podcast and you hunt small acres and you think, wow, I really, this is awesome, but how can I get that? How can I make that small town? How can I make that awesome property? Well, you may want to jump over to the Habitat heroes podcast or the habitat focus podcast to hear us talk about the techniques to use on small acres. Cause I know we've done a podcast devoted to the habitat yeah, on small separate. farms. Yeah. Um, but this one's the hunting. And so it's the hunting techniques. It's the finding the limited resource and, and the mindset of hunting um, these small ones, these small properties. So we've covered access. We've covered the limited resource um how to make it unique that's also jumping into that limited resource yeah maybe it's uh you're in crop country and you're like well i'm, I'm hunting this little woodlot okay that little woodlot is the cover so we know there's a good chance that deer bedded in there so now we have to make sure we're hunting it smart and not going in when the conditions are bad a lot of times we can we can get too antsy oh, and go oh, in to a farm to hunt because it's Saturday, it's hunting season, I want to go. But if you're hunting small properties, you've got to have the mindset of every every hunt is the ninth, the bottom of the ninth inning, two outs, World Series, you are playing your best game. That's what we definitely want to focus on when you're hunting these small properties. You have to be on your toes and putting your best foot forward. So, we're looking for stand locations, also for multiple wins. How can we do that? And if you were to draw, just take a random sheet of paper with a pen and draw a box, and just say, okay, for for um, just for laughs, this farm that we're doing the small acreage is a square shape or rectangular shape. Where do I want my stands? Well, it should be around the perimeter. Just because it is small, so small, if you put them in the middle of that box, or the middle of that circle, or the middle of that rectangle, or triangle, however the farm is shaped, you're probably disturbing a lot of deer, or if there are deer on it, there's a good chance they're going to see you, smell you, hear you, be alerted by you.
2: So, yeah, we have to certainly respect the the interior of that 40 acres, because, or, or whatever, if it's less, especially if it's less, you have to do it even more so. Um, because that right there, like, and you think about it, a square acre is roughly 70 yards by 70 yards. And it's like, 70 yards, that's not that m- far. I Some mean, guys rate, could shoot that. Yeah, I mean, granted, if, if you've got thick cover, there could be deer bedding, obviously, within that 70 yards. But, typically, not every single acre, every square footage is going to be that quality cover. Um, that's going to block deer or shield you and your access into these areas. Um, so you have to be super mindful of the interior of that farm and let deer work. And this is why it's important to certainly know what's happening on the outside edges beyond your farm. Let them work interior to out. And you capitalize on that. That's where that access trails. And having these stands and the winds, having multiple stands and, and for different winds is is key crop country think of
1: it like this if if you're hunting the woodlots and you know okay well i have the cover neighbors have the food now we got to figure out how to hunt the perimeter of your farm catching deer coming back to your farm so it's looping in and hunting the edge the boundary as the deer are working their way back to your place Mm -hmm. Um, this is the mindset that you have to have whenever you're trying to be successful year in year out week after week if you want to even say that on a small property is you're almost never aggressive. Um, because, and the reason for that, I guess it's because every time you hunting small property, you're somewhat being aggressive just because there's a chance that you walk 10 extra yards, 20 extra yards that the deer that are on that property are going to see you. Um, you walk 20 extra yards and you can see all the way through the property depending on the habitat. So you don't want to be aggressive when you're hunting these small properties. You want to play play it cool. Knowing the ABCs, always be cool. Hunt the edge, maneuver around the edge, using your great access to where you're not blowing the deer out. You want to be treating these deer like they're never being hunted as far as they don't know they're being hunted.
2: And I think that... As certainly as someone is approaching a small property, that's the that is the mindset that you should have going going into it, and go into that. I, I think and and have a couple years under your belt if you have that opportunity, the privilege to hunt that property for that long. Do that for several years and really document, take notice of how deer use the property from start of season to the to the end of season, and then. As you really learn and watch and develop patterns with how the deer use it, you might be able to get a little more aggressive year four. And and, and because you have three years of experience on the property, say, well they, they actually don't do this. They don't this time of year they're not going here. They're not taking this trail. They will late season, but early season they won't. And I can hunt it here, whereas late season I, I, I can't do this, or vice versa. Whatever it may be. But Go in with an attitude of stealth and go in with an attitude of kind of that observational scouting deal until you can really learn that property and know when that time is to strike. I think if you adopt that mentality, those first couple of years, I don't think it's necessarily a, a frustrating because if you're hunting it smart then and deer are on it, you're putting yourself in good op- op- opportunities to harvest those deer. But I think once you gain the confidence and the knowledge of the property – then you're like, man, I'm before season opens up, you're like, I'm killing. And I, I kind of know when I'm going to kill too. That's right. Knowing the food source or knowing what time of the year they
1: use it, knowing when to strike. Whether that's early season when the acorn trees are, are dropping um, mm-hmm. and you're going, okay, whenever they start dropping, I know I have the swamp white oaks, I have the white oaks, I have the chink pins, whatever the acorn trees are, um, I have those. I have the best ones in the neighborhood that the deer know are the best ones in the neighborhood, and that's my time to kill. If I don't kill them then, then it's going to be a struggle. Or it's I'm going to kill them during the rut because I know I have the very best cover, and during the rut the does are going to come in to start trying to seek shelter on my place, and the bucks are going to be in tow. Or it's late season. I have... Um, a few food plots that I fenced off, great and the neighbors facing slopes and great south-facing slopes, or the neighbors have harvested all the crops, and I'm going to open up my
2: fences or take the fences down, and I've got the only standing grain. I know I'm going to have them. Or, or yeah, or the neighbors have been hunting hard, hunting hard, and I've got the best cover around, so I haven't hunted that hard from beginning to middle of season. Now is my time to shine. I'm going in. I have the deer. It's, it's crazy, but really. You can take, if you have a great cover um, and you're not putting pressure on it, I would hazard to say you own the deer in a very large area if you've got that food late season. So just because it's 40 acres, don't underestimate what that security cover and forage on that property can do in areas of high pressure. Yeah. I, you can own a ton of deer.
1: That's, tons. If you've stayed out of it and you give them security, or you've hunted it appropriately. That's right. Oh, that pretty well, that's a 30-minute rant right there on hunting small properties. You know, I don't, my grandpa's property is 24 acres. Yep. And it's one of those that it's got terrible, I mean, the access is all from the west. There's no, that's the only access. I've never hunted it just because it's like, it's 24 acres, but the access is terrible. And it's not far from the family farm. Now, if the family farm is gone and I'm stuck to hunting that farm, uh, it wouldn't be bad. It's just that on my priority list, it's like, ah, I have better places to hunt.
2: Well, it's kind of all slopey too. It is. (laughs)
1: If if I think of uh, Granny's Corner um that our producer nathaniel and and other producer matt hunt uh where what is that dog's name that they always hear treble or rebel treble Treble. yeah treble get back in here because that they have to hunt so close to the house yeah and that's only 24 acres that little section of the farm that they actually get to hunt so um i mean it's all about finding that limited resource and making sure that you can maneuver through the property if, if you have the best food plot in the world in the 200-inch in the buck there, and, and he's moving during daylight, if you don't have great access, you're not going to kill him. Yeah. And so you have to have the access, and you have to know what the access is going to be. If you don't have the access, find, find the access. Make a way. Maybe leave the house 30 minutes earlier just to make sure you can get in there without blowing the deer out. You got a would-you-rather? Would-you-rather hunt... I think I said two or three of them through the middle of yeah. the podcast. So.
2: Would you rather hunt a, a small property? I'm trying to make this up as I go along. It's not coming <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you rather it's, hunt a small property for four years and tag mature deer on it or have permission to hunt it for a year, hunt it super aggressively, and shoot a three-year-old. Like a, a four-year-old plus deer that you kind of watch throughout the...
1: I'd rather have long-term access and shoot a mature one. But yeah. that's the
2: only one you get. Yeah, I'd, whole, I'd rather do that. Thing. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I do love hunting new farms. I think that's probably something that is a... Downfall for me because I don't like grinding and out and hunting the same little core area or key area and be like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to hunt this, this, and this. I, I like to change it up. And for me, you know, growing up, I always hunted a lot of public ground and it was always like new scenery. I want to go somewhere new. I would go to the north side. I go to the south side. I go to the east side. I go to the west side to where I never learned an area really well because I was always moving around. That's the way I've always been. But then again, you mean sporadic, very sporadic, go figure, right? (laughs) So, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I I think I'd rather hunt it multiple years and try to learn it though. Um, the farm has been interesting to try to learn over the years as it's not, it's not that the deer doing stuff too much different, like they're not being a whole lot different. the, the, the biggest change that's occurring on the farm to where it seems like every year I have to relearn it is because there's so much habitat work or there's something that goes on. We shut off a
2: resource. The resources are changing. Yeah. Um,
1: Ever changing. And then you throw in the logging operation on the neighboring farm to where it's like now that whole West facing slope is the bedding area to where it's like that didn't used to be that way. So now we got to really figure it out. So I don't know. Yeah, that's what I would do. Um, Anyway, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully they're having su- su- some success on the small acres that they're hunting. Hopefully this will help them uh, I say, focus I say, on.
2: Don't shy away. If you have an opportunity and you say 40 acres, Ah, that's not big enough to hunt. Trust me. It's I, big enough to hunt.
1: And I, and there's a lot of times where people have that mindset, including myself, where you're like, I'm not going to hunt that farm because it's like my grandpa's farm once again. Um Ah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna mess with this, 24 acres. But then somebody drives by and calls me and said, I saw a giant buck in your grandpa's orchard. And I'm like, what? And it's like, yeah, he was just standing there eating apples. It's like, unbelievable. There's a good deer around there, but it's like, ah, ah, I just, you overlook it conservation ground you overlook areas that are easy to overlook that have really big deer on them because it's a small little drainage up close to the road and you're like ah there's not gonna be any deer in there um but once again what is there covered security that's it so anyway hopefully you guys enjoyed it share it with your friends and we will see you next time see ya